0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2, specifically. 66 chapters, so I will narrow it down for you a bit. Isaiah chapter 2. We will be beginning there in just a moment. I'd like to add my welcome to you all. Thank you all for being here. Thank you to our visitors who have come our way. We appreciate it. Glad that you have found us. And uh, pray that you will see in us a... Congregation that seeks to serve the Lord as we see uh, instructions to do so in the New Testament. That is our, our commission. That is our want to do. And we prayerfully uh, engage in that as the Lord's church here in this community. Thank you all for being here. This morning I want to talk about um, the servant of the Lord. And as, as we begin here, I didn't coordinate this with Devin with what he said around the around the table this morning, but it was perfectly in line with what I'd like to talk about this morning. Great minds, something like that. <laughs> so Devin helped us to set the tone here for what we're going to talk about this morning. We'll begin this way by understanding a little bit about prophecy, Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah prophesying about 700 years or so before the Lord would come into the world. And... Uh, Immediately he's talking about the, the, the dangers that are facing the Jews and the impending captivity and the, and the message as is with all the prophets of old is repent before it's too late. But as we often see with the prophets, there's, there's, there's more. As, as God is slowly uh, revealing the ultimate expression of his redemption of mankind, that is Jesus Christ, we see in the prophets these these overtones. Some are subtle. Some are not so subtle. With Isaiah, they're not very subtle when we talk about the coming of the Christ, especially you look at Isaiah 53. But there is that in, in the prophets. And so what I want to look at this morning is this idea of the servant of the Lord. And if you're there in Isaiah chapter 2, um, I want to begin there. And let's understand that as we, as we say there, God is preparing the way for the Messiah. He's preparing the way for his servant to come. And as I mentioned there, prophecy then and now, there's an immediate application to the prophecies that, that the, these prophets are giving to their audience, and then there's the, the far-reaching prophecies. Here in Isaiah chapter 2, Beginning of verse one, it says, the, war, the, the word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it." Now that's when you read that, and you hear the, the term "last days," we, we can see that there's far-reaching application in this particular section. Yes, it has application because he says right there concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And there is the application of they're going to be taken away into captivity, but there is going to be a restoration that's going to happen when they return from captivity. And there is going to be a restoration of Israel. But the far-reaching is when we see those terms like last days, that there's something further out there that the prophet speaks of. The prophet is speaking of a time of comfort to come. Look over in chapter 40 of Isaiah. Again, application immediate, but, but let's, let's, let's listen for that far-reaching application. Isaiah 40, beginning of verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call her out. And call out to her, that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and let the rugged terrain a broad valley. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Don't we see that play out as, as John the Baptist comes on the scene and he, he says, you know, make way for the, for the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And our Lord comes on the scene and what does he say? He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see that God is, is, is showing us through the prophet Isaiah of a, of a comfort to come. Comfort, O oh comfort, my people. And in this, he speaks also of a servant that is to come. Look over in chapter 42 of Isaiah now. Chapter 42, beginning of verse 1 Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not be extinguished. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. So we put those things together and we see that God has a time in mind where he's going to raise up his kingdom. And that we read there from chapter 40 of a time of comfort where God is going to comfort his people. And then we read here in chapter 42 about how he's going to do that by this servant that he is going to raise up. Isn't that wonderful to think about? That God's plan has been around for a very long time and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But through, we see that thread running through, and I I mentioned this Wednesday night in our Bible classes, we're studying the story of the Bible, that main storyline that goes through, and the thread that that is, I heard that recently called, and I hadn't heard this before, maybe you have, of the scarlet thread, and that is the idea of the blood of Christ, and how that thread starts at the very beginning and goes all the way through. So we see this here in Isaiah, uh, about this servant that is to come, And so what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning is over in chapter 49, the idea about the servant being prepared. And we're really just going to focus on the first four verses of this this, um, chapter and see with what lengths God went to to prepare this servant, to prepare the Christ who would come and redeem man from his sins. Let's first understand that the idea of a planned birth in in Isaiah 49 and verse 1. It says, Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named me. So here the idea begins right here with a planned birth. It is going to be something that has come about because of God's doings, because of God's planning. And it says there that all the earth would know of him. This is not just for the Jews. This is for the Jews and the Gentiles. For all the earth would know of him. This is uh, startling uh, to think about that God is going to set up a kingdom because for so long the Jews recognized that this is the kingdom, this is us. But God has bigger plans and that all the world would know of his servant and of his plan to redeem man from their sins. It's interesting the pronoun that's used here. Look there in the middle of verse 1. The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother he named me. Isn't that interesting to see that pronoun there, me and my? This is Christ who who is speaking here. This is Christ who is speaking his own prophecy. Some 700 plus years later, before his his birth, this is going to happen, but yet this is him speaking in this. Isn't that interesting? This idea of a promised child. Hold your 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 hand there or your finger there and go back to chapter nine for just a second of Isaiah. Chapter nine. Again, the prophecies woven throughout Isaiah's writing. Verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This was the promised child that would come. And he would wear those names. Eternal Father, Counselor, Prince of Peace. There was a promised child that was to come. Back over in our reading. Back in chapter 49. Now in verse 2. There's a uh, a planned birth and there's preparations that are going to be made. Verse 2. It says, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. And he has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. Again, doesn't that pronoun ring out to us? He has made me. He has done this to me. He has made my tongue a sharp sword. My mouth a sharp sword. Let's talk about that sharp sword. Isn't that interesting that that appears here? When we think about sharp sword, what do we think about? We often think about the Word of God, the Word of Christ. In Revelation 1 and verse 16, as John is describing the appearance of our Lord, of, of the glorified Christ, he says that out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. So We understand what that means. The Hebrew writer talks about the Word of God being like a two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts of man as bone and marrow. So there's the equating of um, the, the two-edged sword with the word of God. Jesus, it is Jesus who is going to speak the judgments with his own mouth. And So when we see this here in Isaiah, when he talks about how he's made my mouth like a sharp sword. And then how the New Testament writers remind us about the idea of Jesus and the words that come from his mouth are like a sharp sword. He says that he was hidden in the shadow of his hand. In the shadow of, the, uh, of, of his hand, he has concealed me. You know, as I mentioned, the, the, the unfolding of God's plan, the, the slow revelation that we see through the Old Testament, and then its complete expression in the New Testament, and how wonderful it is that we have the full expression Of God's will. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Hold your place there, we're going to come back. But over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul expresses this so well about the unveiling mystery of God's plan, and he lets his his readers understand that this is the mystery revealed. It's no longer hidden. In 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6, he says, Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. Uh, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, or mature. Beg your pardon. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages of our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. For if they would understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as written, things which eye has not seen or ear heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, and that God has prepared for those who love him. Now earlier on, over in chapter 1, he talks about, we preach Christ crucified. To the Gentiles, that's that's foolishness, and to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. He's, he's He's revealed the mystery. Christ crucified. But here he speaks as if the world wasn't ready to hear it. And that continues today, doesn't it? The world's not ready to hear it. We are, those who follow after him and 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 look to Jesus Christ and the gospel as the way that we live our lives. We hear it. We see the mystery revealed to us. Back over in our reading, back in Isaiah 49. He says that he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. You know, I think about the idea of uh, this select arrow, that one that is carefully crafted by the archer. You know, it was the archer's uh, responsibility to make his arrows and to put them in his quiver. If he was going into battle, he'd want to make sure his quiver was full. But he might have that one set aside there, hidden in his quiver, for that one special shot he needed to take. That one special mission that he might have. So the imagery is there, isn't it? That God has prepared him uh, a select arrow and hidden him in his quiver just for the right time. And as Galatians 4 and verse 4 tells us that when the fullness of time came, Christ came, born of a woman, to carry out the the fulfillment of God's plan. But it took the, the, the planning, the preparation, and the timetable, all according to God, carry that out in verse 3 we read about this special mission as the planned birth has been the plans for the birth has been made preparations have been made and now here's the mission verse 3 and he said to me you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory now let's understand what what's being said here The prophecy is not speaking of the man Israel. man Israel is is long gone. But rather, he is uh, speaking of the purpose of God. You know, the plan for Israel Israel was to, to make the great nation of the Jews. It was his sons that would inherit the promised land. That was the great purpose of God through Israel. So when he speaks of it and says here, he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. It's not the man Israel, but it's the the purpose of God. It's the expression of God's will. And he's going to do it this time through this servant. As he did through the man Israel. He's going to do it through the coming Messiah, through Jesus. and He's going to bring glory to God in all the earth. Jack read a moment ago from... From a little further down in our reading, verses 5 beginning, it says, And now the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Here, here we go. This is backing up what, what is being said here. Formed me in the womb to be his servant. To bring Jacob back to him in order that so Israel might be gathered to him. There's those references again to God's former plan. And the restoration of Israel. God is my strength. He says, verse six, it is, "Is it too small, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve the ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's not just for the restoration of, of Israel, of Jacob, but it's to, re, to restore the whole earth. This servant has a bigger mission than Israel had. Israel's mission was for the children of Israel. This servant's mission is for the whole earth. That's why back there in verse 1, it says, Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. This message is for all the earth. So bring glory to all the earth. And lastly, in verse 4, we have the servant himself the servant's work verse 4 but i said i have toiled in vain i have spent my strength for nothing in vanity yet surely the justice due to me is with the lord and my reward with my god now how can that be how can the the servant's work here be in vain He's, he 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 questions but have i toiled in vain that might be a reference to, to understanding that, that as Jesus' life goes on, there's fewer and fewer people in his close circle. They are beginning to abandon him. When he goes to that cross, he will be all alone. So we might understand a little bit that thinking of, I have toiled in vain, I've spent my, my strength and nothing, the vanity of he, as he might be thinking there on the cross, where is everybody gone? But of course we know that's not true at all. That he came and fulfilled the mission that he had been given. That he accomplished God's will. So his work has not been in vain. And John 6 and verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says this throughout his ministry, that I have come from the Father. I speak as he gives me words. I do as he tells me to do. I am here to complete, to fulfill, to carry out the mission of God the Father. And in chapter 17 of John, in verse 4, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. So Jesus recognized that, indeed, he has, he has fulfilled the mission of, of, of God the Father. Yet surely the justice due me is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. Indeed completed his work. He fulfilled the mission that he had been given, and his reward was with his God, with God the Father. We could go on. We could talk more. We could look at the things that are uh, mentioned in the end of chapter 52 and chapter 53 and, and see how this is reinforced about this servant that is to come. But We recognize who that servant was in prophecy, it's the Messiah, it's the Christ, it is Jesus, who would come. So I want to leave you this morning with the idea that God has a purpose for us. And please understand, as I as I speak of this, I am not equating our mission with that of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had a special mission. He came. Uh, born of a woman, born of the Father, to carry out the Father's will on earth. I'm not in any way equating that, but understand that God does have a mission for us, and some of the same language we might apply to ourselves when we talk about the idea of being a servant of the Lord. In Matthew 25. Here, this is the the parable of the talents. Where five talents are given to one servant and two to another and one to another. And the one with five doubled his money and the one with two doubled his money. And then the one with one went and hit it in the ground. We know the parable well. But to those two that doubled their money, the master had something very interesting to say to them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Doesn't that sound like what we've just been talking about? Well done, good and faithful servant. As Jesus is, is contemplating, did he carry out the, the will of the Father? Indeed he did. And so we equate that with, with what we're talking about in this parable as Jesus is expressing the idea of using our talents to, the, to their best benefit, those that, who did that, who doubled their money. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the, the joy of your master. And so, um, think about that in, in just a little bit of, of these terms. When David speaks in Psalm one thirty nine thirteen about how you wove me in my mother's womb. Doesn't that sound like how Jesus was talking about there? Uh, back in Isaiah 49, uh, the Lord called me from my womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. What's the idea here? The idea is that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And that purpose begins in our conception, in, the, in, in, in our mother's womb, if you will. The idea that God has that, that plan for us, and what is that plan? Well, it's not a mystery. He has told us what we are to do. We are to seek him out. We will find him. And then we are to do his will. Just like that servant spoken of in Isaiah 49. There was a purpose. He carried that out. And he was pleasing to God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So the application comes down to us is that God has a purpose for us. Surely doesn't equate to uh, saving mankind from his sins as he had the purpose for Jesus Christ. But let's not think little of it either. We're important. We're important to God. How much so? That he carried this plan out to redeem us from our sins. And then the, 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 the duty that we have while we're here on this earth is to tell others about that plan to bring others to the word of God and show them what it says there about God loving the world and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and to hear the gospel, Christ crucified. If we live our life doing that and and seek to please God, then one day we'll hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. That ought to be our mission. It ought to be our purpose in life. If you're here and you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to understand what it means to be a child of God, of hearing the word, and believing in that word, and recognizing that that word has convicted you of sin, has convicted you of the things in your life that are not pleasing to God, that you need to make a change. You realize you need to repent, that you need to change from that life. You need to recognize who Jesus Christ is in all of this. Recognize that He is indeed the Son of God and make that confession that He is the Son of God. And then you're ready to be baptized, to wash away the sins, to put on Christ, to be buried, to bury that old man of sin and to be raised up to walk in newness of life. That's how we come in contact with the suffering, with the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord, is through baptism. And then it is our charge and our duty to to live out such a life, to make the best of the talents that we have been given, to double our money, so to speak. And look for those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever needs you might have, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.